to PMQ's question one, Colonel Monaghan. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I will have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Monday was Holocaust Memorial Day when we remember those who suffered under Nazi persecution. During this dark time, Britain stood out as a beacon of hope, and 10,000 Jewish children came here with the Kinder Transport. When his government rejected Lord Dubb's amendment on unaccompanied child refugees, Britain's beacon dimmed. Will the Prime Minister now devolve powers over immigration to Holyrood to allow Scotland to be that beacon of hope? Uh, Mr Speaker, I think she does a disservice to this country's reputation and uh, to its record because because we have not only taken uh, 41,000 children, unaccompanied children, uh, since 2010, but I think this whole country can be very proud of everything that we continue to do to commemorate the Holocaust and what took place then. I know that my right honourable friend would never put our country at risk. I also know that he was born in America. So what plans does he have to convince the US Secretary of State that the Huari deal is safe not only for our constituents but also for our allies. Oh, well, th- I, th- I thank my right honourable friend, and he raises a most important point, which I know is of great concern to members a- across the House. And I want to assure the House and indeed the country that I think it is absolutely vital that people in this country do have access to the best technology available, but that we also do absolutely nothing to imperil our relationship with the United States, to do anything to compromise our critical national security infrastructure, or to do anything to imperil our extremely valuable cooperation with Five Eyes security partners. Leader of the Opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will want to send our thoughts to the families and friends, family and friends of the Royal Marine soldier who sadly died in a training incident earlier this week. And if you forgive me, Mr. Speaker, could we take just a minute to pay tribute to Nicholas Parsons, who passed away this week, and thank him for his work in, in broadcasting? Um, this Friday, the, Europe, the UK will be leaving the European Union. The actions. The actions we take over the months and years ahead will shape our future role within the international community for generations to come. Britain's role in the world will face one of its most important tests later this year when COP26 meets in Glasgow to discuss the need for drastic action to tackle the climate emergency. Given the scale of the crisis, does the Prime Minister think that we as a country should be financing billions of pounds on oil and gas projects all around the world? Well, Mr Speaker, let me first of all say in in, uh, deference to in in memory of Nicholas Parsons, I think we should all avoid hesitation, deviation or repetition uh, in this this House. And I can can, uh, answer very clearly by saying I do think it important that the UK continues to campaign against hydrocarbon emissions of all kinds, as we do. And he will have noticed that we have just decided to ban support for all extraction of coal around the world. And that is a massive step forward by this country. Jeremy Corbyn. Speaker, the 
report from the BBC and unearthed investigation has revealed that a government agency has helped to finance oil and gas projects which will emit 69 million tonnes of carbon a year, nearly a sixth of the total emissions from this country alone. The effects of climate change have been felt in this country with flooding in Yorkshire and the Midlands and, of course, with the wildfires in Australia. Despite pledging to reach zero, net zero emissions by 2050, on current track, the government will only meet that target by 2099. Can we afford to wait another 79 years before we reach net zero in this country? Oh, Mr Speaker, this, this government has doubled spending on tackling climate change internationally to £11.6 billion. Pounds. And I'm, uh, I'm not surprised, actually, because he's so pessimistic, he's so gloomy. Don't forget, uh, Mr Speaker, that this country has reduced CO2 emissions already by 42% on, on 1990 levels, whilst the economy, under this Conservative government, has grown by 73%. That's our record. We can do both. Jeremy Corbyn has voted against every, every proposal to take action on climate change until he became Prime Minister. I hope for the sake of our future he changes his mind before COP26 meets in Glasgow. And speaking of failing to take a global lead on climate change, the US Secretary of State is visiting later today. President Trump's latest Middle East peace plan is not a peace plan. It will annex Palestinian territory, lock in illegal Israeli colonisation, transfer Palestinian citizens of Israel and deny Palestinian people their fundamental rights. When the government meets with the US Secretary of State later today, will he make it clear that the British government will stand for a genuine, internationally backed peace plan rather than this stuff proposed by Trump yesterday? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, let's be clear, this is a problem that has bedeviled the world for, for decades and the Middle East, of course, in particular. No peace plan is perfect, but this has the merit of a two-state solution. It is a two-state solution. It would ensure that Jerusalem is both the capital of Israel and of the Palestinian people. And I urge him rather than being so characteristically negative, to reach out to his friends, my friends, our friends in, in the Palestinian Authority, to Mahmoud Abbas, for whom I have the highest respect, and urge him for once to engage uh, with this initiative, to get talking rather than to leave a political vacuum. Jeremy Corbyn has the greatest respect for President Abbas and those in the Palestinian Authority. I've met them many times. And as you, as the Prime... <laughs> Mr Speaker, this is actually a very serious issue and I think the Prime Minister should acknowledge that President Trump's plan will not bring any move towards peace, has no support from any Palestinian anywhere in the world and maybe this would be a good opportunity for the British government to say frankly and candidly to the US, on this you are wrong. There needs to be a two-state solution with international support. The kind of test for this country for the future has to be how we work to end conflict abroad. The Saudi Arabian-led intervention in Yemen has led to the needless deaths of innocent men, women and children. Yet this government has broken the ban on Saudi, Saudi arms sales three times, while Donald Trump has vetoed a ban on arms exports three times. Will the Prime Minister confirm that he will respect his own ban and will, when he meets the US later today, ask them to stop selling arms? arms to Saudi Arabia while they continue the bombardment of the people of Yemen. Absolutely.
Well, as he knows, the uh, Saudi-led uh, operation in Yemen is uh, supported by the UN, a UN mandate uh, to restore the government of Yemen. Uh, and it is absolutely vital, he's completely correct, that the crisis in Yemen continues and it's a tragedy for the people of Yemen. But I think what he should rather be doing is supporting the activity of the British UN negotiator, Martin Griffiths, who is doing a fantastic job in trying to bring the sides together and to get a peaceful solution led by Yemenis. Jeremy Corbyn. Of course they're trying to bring about a peace process, but it's not helped when one country supplies arms to Saudi Arabia, which has led to the deaths of 100,000 people in Yemen last year alone. According to Human Rights Watch, Saudi authorities have stepped up their arbitrary arrests, trials and convictions and killing of peaceful dissidents and activists, including a large-scale crackdown against the women's rights movement. When the Prime Minister heads to Riyadh later this year for the G20, would he make it clear that any future trade arrangement with Saudi Arabia will be dependent on an improvement of their human rights laws and their human rights record, particularly in respect of women in that country? Uh, well, well, Mr. Speaker, it won't have escaped the House's attention. The right honourable gentleman is a, 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 a supporter and defender uh, of the Iranian regime in Tehran, uh, who have grossly exacerbated the tensions in Yemen by sending missiles to attack the civilian population uh, of Saudi Arabia. And of course, we raise human rights in Saudi Arabia. My right honourable foreign secretary uh, raised the rights of women in Saudi Arabia only the other day. We will continue to do that, and we will do that ever more vigorously, ever more uh, energetically, as we pursue our policy of a global Britain doing free trade deals around the world, which will give us the leverage to make exactly these points. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I condemn human rights abuses in every country in the world, including Iran, Russia and anywhere else where they are committed. My question was, my question was, what is being done to ensure our future trade deals are dependent on good human rights in the countries that we deal with? Nine women are in Saudi prisons at the present time, merely for standing up for equal rights for women. Four of them have received electric shock treatment during interrogation. Is that the kind of human rights we tolerate? I sincerely hope not. Britain, Mr Speaker, is at a crossroads. We're leaving the EU and Britain's place in the world is going to change. The question is what direction it takes. The signs are that this government is prepared to sacrifice our country's interests and values for short-term political advantage and a sell-out trade deal with Donald Trump. As Foreign Secretary, he embarrassed this country. And as Prime Minister, he shows every sign of being prepared to sell it off. When will the Prime Minister accept the only chance of a truly internationalist Britain is to work with our global partners to tackle the climate catastrophe, expand trade, fight human rights abuses and promote peace? Mr Speaker, the difference between this government and the way it treats international affairs and the Labour Party under the present leadership can be summarised as follows. This, in the right honourable gentleman, is a leader of the Labour Party who has consistently stood up not just for, for Tehran, but for Vladimir Putin when he poisoned innocent people on the streets of this country. 
he, he has said he'd still, he would scrap the armed services of the United Kingdom, he'd end our nuclear deterrent, and he'd abolish NATO, which has been the bulwark of our security for the last, for the last 70 years. Mr. Speaker, this is a government that is leading the world, leading the world in tackling abuses, uh, in sticking up for human rights, in championing, uh, in championing the struggle against climate change, and in leading the fight that every single girl in the world should have access to 12 years of quality education. That is what Global Britain under this government is delivering. He would isolate this country. He would deprive us of our most crucial allies. We are going to take this country forward, outwards, into the world. And Mr Speaker, in case I forgot to mention it before, we are going to deliver on our promises and take us out of the European Union despite everything, despite everything that he and all the parties opposite tried to do this Friday. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This Conservative government has an incredible opportunity with our Prime Minister's vision to deliver change by driving forward the levelling up of parts of the country which have lagged behind London. Will the Prime Minister confirm that beautiful Hastings and Rye will not be overlooked in the process of levelling up? and that the necessary investment will be made in our transport infrastructure, education and health to unleash our bags of talent and potential. Yes, Mr Speaker, I can confirm that the infrastructure revolution will, of course, uh, penetrate all the way to Hastings and Ryan across the whole uh, country, and in it there will be an additional £100 million for the redevelopment of the Conquest Hospital and Eastbourne District Hospital, which I know will be a benefit to her constituents. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Scotland, of course, has been dragged out of the European Union against our will. We hope our European friends will leave a light on for Scotland. Mr Speaker, during the EU referendum, the Chancellor for the Duchy of Lancaster said that when it comes to immigration, it would be for the people of Scotland to decide. Mr Speaker, on Monday, the Scottish Government published its plans for a Scottish visa doing just what the Right Honourable Member promised Scotland should be able to do. Before the ink was even dry, these proposals were rejected without consideration. Since the Prime Minister would never reject a proposal before reading it, can he tell the House on what points he disagrees with Model 3? And if it helps, Mr Speaker, it was outlined on page 20 of the proposal. Well, 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 Mr. Speaker, I'm every sympathy with uh, the industries and businesses of Scotland that need to uh, allow workers to come freely to work for the seasonal agricultural worker scheme. We have uh, doubled, and uh, that's very, very important. And I thank the lobbying, the representations I've had from uh, Conservative colleagues in Scotland on that point. But I think the idea of having a Scottish-only visa, Mr Speaker, uh, with a border at Berwick and uh, a wall inspection post, uh, I think this is absolutely fanciful and deranged. And whatever there may be on page 20 of his document, I doubt if he explains who's going to pay for it, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, nobody's suggesting such a thing and that just confirms the Prime Minister doesn't have a clue. Unlike the Prime Minister, experts back the Scottish Government's proposals. The Scottish Trade Union Congress support them. The Federation of Small Business support them. The Scottish Council for Development and Industry support them. Even the MAC report, commissioned by his own government, has highlighted additional migration routes 
as a means of increasing population ah. growth. The Scottish Government's proposals will boost Scotland's population, grow our economy and protect public services. The UK Government's policies threaten to plunge our working age population into decline. Mr Speaker, we were told we would have the most powerful devolved parliament in the world. We were told we would be an equal partner in the family of nations. Will the Prime Minister now read the Scottish Government's proposal? Listen to the evidence and deliver a tailored migration policy for Scotland. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, we will have exactly such a thing. We will have a points-based system that will deliver the immigration that this, this whole country needs. May I say to Mr Speaker, the way to boost the population of Scotland is not to have a Scottish Government that taxes the population of Scotland to oblivion that fails to deliver results in their schools. Mr Speaker, it may, it may interest you to, to know that the SNP have not had a debate in their parliament on education for two years. What are they debating today? Whether or not to fly the EU flag. They should get on with the day job, Mr Speaker. Andrea Jenkins. Andrew Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, up in Yorkshire, the, in your Conservative Brexit heartlands, yeah. we are celebrating us leaving the EU on Friday with a big Brexit bash. I wish to congratulate the Prime Minister on achieving us leaving the EU when so many deemed it impossible. Now, does he agree with me that this is an opportunity for a new chapter in our great country when we will finally control our laws, our borders and our money and become a truly global trading nation? Uh, Mr Speaker, I do join her in her celebrations. I'm sorry I can't be uh, there personally, but I, I wish everybody in Morley and I would a very enjoyable uh, big Brexit bash. Sorry, Champion. Thank yeah. you very much, Mr Speaker. Sexual exploitation doesn't end when you turn 18. Indeed, it is the main driver of modern slavery and trafficking of women in this country. So will the Prime Minister join other countries around the world by bringing in legislation to end demand, making it illegal to buy sexual consent? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I'm certainly uh, happy to look at the proposals that she, uh, she wishes to bring them to, uh, forward to the House. Kevin Holland-Rowe. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree we need to increase capacity in our railways in and between the North, the Midlands, the South and Scotland? And unless we want decades of disruption, the only way to do this is through the Midlands Engine Rail, Northern Powerhouse Rail and HS2. No. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I, I can tell uh, my honourable friend that we are not only building the Northern Powerhouse Rail and investing in the Midlands Rail Hub, but as he knows, we are looking into whether and how to proceed uh, with HS2, and we, the House can expect an announcement very shortly. Angela Crawley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Now, this Prime Minister has shown no respect for Scotland. In fact, so will he listen to the Scottish food and drink sector, who currently employ 40,000 EU nationals? Now, we have 46,000 roles needing filled by 2030. Mr. Speaker, the figures are clear. Immigration is an urgent priority for Scotland. So, when will this Prime Minister accept that Scotland must? 
have the power to tailor its own immigration policy and ensure that we have the powers to do so. Mr Speaker, I have the utmost and the highest respect for Scotland, for people of Scotland. I have, I have less respect, I must say, for the SNP Government uh, of Scotland, uh, which is currently, through, through, because of its failures, is producing less growth than any other part of the UK. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by congratulating the Prime Minister on ensuring that this is the final Prime Minister's questions of our time as a member of the European Union? But I know that he shares my concern about the loss of biodiversity around the world. I have seen at first hand how it is possible to turn a palm oil plantation back into a fast recovering rainforest full of wildlife. Can I ask him to ensure that whilst we're doing good work in restoring environment around the world already, that we step up through DFID, the work we do to restore biodiversity and in doing so help tackle climate change? Yeah. Um, well, my right honourable friend raises an exceptionally important point and that is why it's vital that we have a, a direct link between the Chinese COP summit on biodiversity and our COP 26 summit on climate change. Berlin Lucas. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister talks of avoiding hesitation, repetition, and deviation. But would he agree as well that we should avoid hypocrisy? Because we won't be taken seriously. We won't be taken seriously on climate leadership as long as we are ploughing taxpayers' money into projects overseas that are emitting huge amounts of carbon. It's not just the export finance, it's also the fact that at the Africa summit last year, last week rather, two billion was going to be ploughed into more oil and gas. So will you join me and the Environmental Audit Committee in agreeing that from the end of 2021 there should be no UK money going into fossil fuels overseas? Yes or no? Uh, Mr Speaker, what I can tell her is that we've done spending on climate, tackling climate change, 11.6 billion and no, not another penny will be going into digging out coal and we will do everything we can to help the rest of the world to achieve the incredible record of the UK government in reducing CO2 emissions. That is our ambition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This Sunday is World Wetlands Day and I have the superb Slimbridge WWT headquarters in my constituency. Will the Prime Minister tell us what the Environment Bill will do for wetlands and wildlife and will he come and visit our famous flamboyance of flamingos? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, well, I look forward to seeing her famous flamboyant flamingos at the earliest opportunity, uh, but I can tell her that our environment plan does place biodiversity uh, frameworks on a statutory footing. Whether or not that includes flamingos, Mr Speaker, I don't know. Uh, but uh, we are put- Pino ferries in Hull are finding Filipino seafarers to work for far below the national minimum wage. They are expected to work 12-hour shifts, seven days a week for six months at a time. And the Prime Minister will remember that the Herald of Free Enterprise disaster which claimed the lives of 193 passengers and crew was caused by seafarer fatigue. Will he agree to meet a cross-party group of MPs to discuss this issue and try to put this issue to bed once and for all, and indeed to protect British seafarer jobs. Yeah. Uh, can I just say to the Honourable Gentleman, he's absolutely right to raise this, and uh, I think it is a serious issue. I've been told that the replacement crew's working pattern meets the, re- the requirements of uh, international maritime conventions, uh, but plainly there are concerns that uh, we have, uh, for, for all the reasons that he, uh, he mentions. Perhaps the, the shortest answer I can give is that I know that my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, will be only too happy to meet him and others concerned. Andy Carter. 
This week in my constituency of Warrington South, the much-anticipated Chapelford Medical Centre opened, improving GP access for residents. Will the Prime Minister confirm that this government's intention is to recruit, train and deploy more doctors so we can increase the number of appointments for people in Warrington and across the UK? Yes, Mr Speaker, I can confirm that we will not only deliver more doctors, more 6,000 more GPs, though as I think he may recall, we are also pledged to deliver 40 new hospitals and 50,000 more nurses. This is the party of delivery and decision and democracy, and we get on with the job. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that we have been pressing for some time for a pension for innocent victims of violence in Northern Ireland. Can he update the House on the progress made thus far and give an absolute assurance that those in receipt of such a pension are innocent victims and it will not include those perpetrators who were injured by their own actions? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, obviously we have every sympathy for innocent victims of violence in Northern Ireland and we have been consistently clear that the principle uh, that those who have sustained injuries uh, must, it must have happened through no fault of their own. That principle will be sustained throughout the negotiations. Much, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will know that the Future Fit programme is a £312 million investment in upgrading and modernising hospital services in Shropshire. Telford Council, a medically illiterate organisation, has managed to prevent these changes over the last six years, undermining the 300 local doctors and surgeons who believe it is essential for patient safety. Will the Prime Minister intervene to use his good offices to help us break this deadlock? Otherwise, patient safety will be put at risk at the Royal Shrewsbury Hospital. Uh, I thank my honourable friend for raising that issue, and I can tell him that we are indeed getting on with uh, that job. And uh, my right honourable friend, the uh, Secretary of State for Health, uh, says that uh, he will personally intervene to ensure that that is done. Ronnie Cavan. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Where the MAC report proposes a reduction in salary thresholds from £30,000 to £25,600, it does not go far enough. Given that around half of the Scottish employees earn less than the proposed threshold, that rises to almost 90% in the vital care sector. Does the Prime Minister agree that protecting Scotland's care sector with a tailored migration system is more important than his ideological obsession of cutting immigration? Uh, Mr Speaker, I think the House should be clear that we, we do not wish in any way to deprive uh, any part of the UK of the, of the labour that, that it needs. But we will, but we will and, 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 we have, and we have special provisions uh, to ensure that Scotland is, is properly catered for. And as I say, we have doubled the seasonal, the seasonal agricultural workers scheme. But we will respond, we will respond in due course uh, to the stipulations of the Migration Advisory Committee. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Um, I know my right honourable friend is very fond of the North East of Scotland, having visited twice in the last year. So, will he commit here today to delivering the long awaited oil and gas sector deal so we can work with that industry as it transitions to net zero and make Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire not just the oil and gas capital of Europe, but the energy capital of the world? Yes, Mr. Speaker, and not only that, Mr. Speaker, but we can do it in such a way as to continue this country's reduction in hydrocarbon emissions. 
Mr Speaker, the shortage of GPs has reached crisis point, and in his answer to the Honourable Gentleman, the Prime Minister did nothing to allay the fears and concerns of patients who are waiting weeks to see a GP now. People in training is all very well, but what's he going to do now to make sure patients can access GPs? Well, she's right to raise the point, but Mr Speaker, the number of GPs is already going up, and as I've just told the House, uh, we are recruiting 6,000 more. Paul Holt. Yesterday's announcement of the Nexus contract being placed with the Swiss company Stadler instead of Hitachi Rail, who are based in my Sedgefield constituency, is in my opinion inappropriate and takes no account of the socio-economic benefit to those of UK-based business. I hope to see a positive decision on HS2 with its potential to reconnect the North with London and would ask the Prime Minister to ensure that UK-based businesses like Hitachi see that investment in the UK properly recognised in the procurement process. Uh, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend has personally raised uh, the issue with me before and I'm sure that his constituents will uh, congratulate him on sticking up for their interest in the way that he, uh, he does, and I can tell them that there will be a decision on HS2 uh, very shortly, if he can just contain his impatience a little bit longer. Thompson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Speaker, yesterday the EU published the Erasmus Plus programme annual report. It showed Edinburgh University is the top UK institution for sending students on the scheme. Incoming higher education EU staff stood at 4,970 across the UK. Educational benefits are clearly endless. Will the Prime Minister now prioritise talks on the UK's continued participation so we don't face any delay in joining the next cycle from 2021? Uh, Mr Speaker, nothing in uh, withdrawal from the EU uh, can stop UK students from being able to pursue uh, their hopes, their dreams around the whole of the European Union, and we will ensure that that is the case. Mr Speaker, this week sees the start of the second phase of the Grenfell inquiry. Will my right honourable friend agree with me that our thoughts are with those affected and what we seek from the inquiry is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth as to what happened? Yes, Mr Speaker, I think most people would agree that Sir Martin Morbitt was pretty unflinching in the first section of his report, and I have no doubt that he will be equally unsparing in the next. Mike Innsbruck. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, is the BBC a mortal enemy of the Conservative Party or a cherished British institution that will be funded by the licence fee? Well, Mr Speaker, I can certainly say that it's a cherished British institution and not a mortal enemy of the Conservative Party. Elliot Coburn. Epsom and St Helier NHS Trust is receiving £500 million thanks to this Conservative Government. Will he agree with me that this is excellent news for Carshall and the Wallington patients and encourage constituents to get involved with the consultation on where the new hospital should go? Yeah. Uh, and I congratulate my honourable friend for speaking up for Carshall and Wallington and, and also uh, uh, drawing attention to investment in the NHS which is increasing under this Government and for which we have now legislated, not just this year, not just next year, but for every year of this Parliament. Mohamed Yazid. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I visited Grange Academy Special School in Kempston last week. The recent SIF bid to make desperately needed school improvements was turned down by the government. Will the Prime Minister urgently review the funding formula 
for both capital and revenue, so send schools aren't disadvantaged simply because they have fewer pupils. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the, the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point, but we are increasing funding for SEND, SEND schools by 780 million and ensuring that there are more SEND schools. Uh, but I'd be happy to look at the particular case that he raises. Derek Thomas. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half, half of the adult population in Cornwall and 40% of children have not seen an NHS dentist in the last year. Will my friend, the Prime Minister, who is a friend of Penzance and Cornwall, meet with me to see how we can? resolve this inequality. <laughs> I'm very happy to meet my honourable friend any time. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that the International Strand of Glasgow's fantastic Celtic Connections Festival has been scaled back by almost 20% this year because of what the Director Donald Shaw describes as the hassle and stress of sourcing visas for overseas artists? What is the Prime Minister's message to artists that want to come here and share their talents but are put off by an overcomplicated, extortionate application process that signals they're not welcome? Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, as he knows, that this government has already instituted uh, new measures to ensure that people of talent uh, who are contributing to this economy can, can come without let or hindrance. And, that, and, and I'm, surprised, I'm surprised that the director of the festival that he refers to is encountering any difficulties. If he really has a problem, then may I direct him to my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary. Dr Kieran Mullen. Given the Prime Minister's proven track record in overcoming prevarication, procrastination, dither and delay, will he repeat that success and do as my other honourable friends have asked and get HS2 done to secure, secure, secure jobs across the country and in Crewe and Nantwich? Mr Speaker, I just want to reassure all my honourable friends of what, and everybody of whatever persuasion they may be about HS2 across uh, this chamber that there will be an announcement and a decision very shortly. I, I, I hope the Prime Minister has the humility to recognise that not everybody will be celebrating on Friday night. We've been promised that leaving the EU will bring power closer to the people, give us a greater say in our communities. Instead, there are many people who feel that they have so far been ignored and disempowered. Will he demonstrate his willingness to listen to all voices by meeting Plaid Cymru leader Adam Price and myself to discuss how Wales will win the tools to forge a better future? Well, Mr Speaker, I certainly share her general sentiment that it's time for the whole country to, to come together. I think that Wales voted to leave the EU from, uh, from memory. Uh, and uh, I think it's time that we regarded this as a beginning. This is curtain up on a fantastic future for our country. And that is the frame of mind, may I respectfully suggest to the Right Honourable Lady and others, in which they should approach it. Order. I have a short...